I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. of Roots Charter School. It's an incredible school that is dedicated to at-risk students who have had struggles in other schools, and they are providing a great place for them to thrive. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's get proximate. We are here at on First Lady and Friends. We are back, and we have an incredible guest today. Uh, people that I just met and uh, had an incredible experience at their organization, and uh, their names are Tyler Bastion and Dan Caffey from Roots Charter School. We had such a great tour. You guys were awesome, um, and I, I just had to have you on to talk about the amazing things that you're doing and your students and everything that's going on. So let's, let's talk about, we'll get into Roots Charter School, but let's first talk about, um, Tyler and Dan, let's talk about you. Let's talk about where you began. Did you grow up here? Where did you grow up? Tell me about your families. Let's get into it. Do you want me to, I'll yeah, go first. first. I, uh, I grew up in California till I was 12. My family moved here in 1989. That kind of tells you how old I am. And, we ended up living in Sandy and then moved to Draper. I went to Alta High School, graduated in 95. Never thought I would go into education. Uh, started a business after I got home from Honduras and did that for 12 years and sold the business and then became a teacher, which was a huge transition for me. Uh, I loved to teach. Uh, originally, I was teaching LDS Seminary. Um, that was not for me. And so I went into public education, started teaching documentary filmmaking. Pretty quickly, I realized kids didn't need to have a teacher to do film. They could YouTube, they could do different things, and they could teach themselves. So I started actually teaching character development. I saw a huge gap in kids really understanding how to get along with each other, how to manage emotions, how to control themselves really. And so started teaching that, found a lot of success with it. The kids really liked it, but felt like it needed to be like, a, I felt the need to do something bigger on a larger scale. So in 2015, well, a lot prior to 2015, we started in about 2013, started the process of uh, opening Roots Charter High School, wrote the charter, got it approved. And then in 2015, we opened, uh, opened the school. And Dan came on in about 2016. I think so. I'll let yeah. you uh, Yeah. So where did, where did you start out, Dan? So I, I uh, grew up in Washington, D.C. area in Maryland. 
and came out here for college a long time ago. <laughs> and um, and I've been out here on and off ever since. I've, I've lived in different places, um, but have had a home here, a base in Utah for, you know, probably 25 years. And um, so I met Tyler in Honduras. We were uh, missionaries. And... Um, and we, you know, he was he was out a little before me, and but we stayed in touch um, a little bit on Facebook, and I uh, reconnected over a film he was making, a documentary film about a, a guy that we knew in Honduras, and um, and then he reached out one day and said, you know, I've I've got this charter school that I started, and it's a farm based school, and my first thought was, what do you know about <laughs> what do you know about schools or farms? What is this? Uh, <laughs> We hadn't kept him that close a touch. And I thought, all right. He said, um, and he invited me to come out uh, for a career day and speak to the students. And I said, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to. I want to see what this is all about. And so I went out, um, did a little presentation for the students, and then did a tour of the school and went and saw the farm and got to talk with some of these students. And I was um, I was just blown away by the mission of the school and and what you know, the, as, as I sat down with Tyler and some of the other folks on the board about the the challenges that they were facing, and and um, I was just really really impressed. And so they asked me to join the board, and then I became the board chair pretty soon after that. And and I've been working with Tyler since. So yeah, yeah, a few years now. Let's let's go back. You you said I mean you you kind of. Went quickly through the the process of starting it, but let's go back to the idea. Why, why, why did you feel the need to start the school? And then, you know, what what kind of precipitated that? And then let's let's talk about you. You mentioned farm based. Let's talk about you know how this how this came about. So I school was not. I hated school. Just being totally honest, all my kids hate school too. So it must be genetic. But the it, school for me was traumatic, mainly because I have pretty bad ADHD. Uh, and so th- sitting in classrooms, doing those things was really difficult. I never would have thought that I would end up as an educator. Uh, learned to love, when I lived in Honduras, learned to love teaching and, and really found a passion for teaching and speaking. And that kind of is what drove me into education. And I was definitely... I don't want to say disappointed, but I was pretty flabbergasted, I guess, is a better word for disappointed. Um, But I was definitely disenchanted. I was discouraged when I saw kind of what education can become, if that makes sense. And the school, I love the school I was at, but you start to see that there's so many kids that are just falling through the cracks like crazy. And so for me, I started to recognize my personality was such in, in the subjects that I taught. My class was filling with kids from this school that were all pretty pretty naughty, mm-hmm. um, you know, for lack of better uh, description. And, and I loved them. Like I really love kids that are loud and fun and mischievous. And so seeing that they didn't have any other place at that school except for my classroom – kind of was a little quite a bit of, of the motivator the farm really came because i i read a book called um, last child in the woods um, years ago and really seeing that, the, that a lot of the kids spend no time outside 
They're very disconnected from where their food comes from, from like what's real in the world. They're disconnected from and they're so virtual and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it definitely can cause quite a few problems. And so for me, the farm became just kind of that motivator to get them outside and to get them to kind of see, see something real, you know, and to watch a kid, you know, to, to see a kid watching the birth of an animal is transformative for both the kid and for even the, for the teachers that are watching them watch that experience. And so the farm really, I went to visit some schools, two of them, one was in California and then actually went to visit three schools, one in California, two back East. Um, both of them having a farm component and then came back and thought that is really where, what I want to do. Uh, and so bringing that here to Utah was kind of what, what we, what we planned the school originally, like way back in the when we first went to start it, was going to be an entrepreneurial school, mainly because of my background. Um, and real quick, that changed when I saw kind of that transformative effect of, of being outside mm-hmm. and really seeing that nature. In the book, it calls it nature deficit disorder. And so that, that there's that nature, there's a deficit in their lives of really seeing nature. That's, so. that's incredible. Dan, what what did you see when you first visited? Were you seeing this vision at first or did it take a while to sort of catch on to what, what they were doing, buy in or, or how was that? So I, my background, I'm, I'm a startup entrepreneur. And, and so I, part of that is being able to see a vision before it's completely obvious. And so I, I was able to see it pretty quickly. Um, just the, the potential and the importance of what they were doing. Um, you know, the, the story of the farm is really interesting. So it was a, it was an abandoned kind of field and Tyler knows the whole story. He was there, but it was an abandoned field. It was filled with trash. It was kind of a blight on the neighborhood. Um, it was just there as part of a, where there's TV uh, tower, TV or uh, radio towers. They have to have a clear area. So it just ended up filling up with trash. And the idea was basically let us turn it into a nice farm and, and transform the neighborhood. So Tyler was able to do a deal and they turned it into a started operating as a farm, brought in animals and these things. It wasn't quite, you know, the transformation wasn't quite complete yet the first time. And I'll say, I didn't bring my kids out there for the first year or two. I was worried they might get tetanus or something else, but, um, but you could see the vision. You could feel that this was going to be something really, um, like Tyler said, transformative for these kids. And, um, and you were just there a few weeks ago going there now and, um, and seeing what it's really become is, is just, um, it's amazing. I mean, you got, you see these kids like Tyler said, who there's some nature deficit, um, and they're out there kids with some really rough, difficult backgrounds. And they're out there, you know, cuddling with chickens and holding the baby goats and connecting with nature and, and learning how to nurture these animals, um, and that's something that is great for the kids. But like Tyler said, I mean, it's it's great for me. I I'd never watched animals give birth. I don't. Know. Yeah. You know, it was really interesting. So. Yeah, that's interesting. I you know, of course, I, I was probably a wash in nature. <laughs> Growing up, I was the opposite. I mean, I grew up on a farm. I literally, I was probably twelve when I pulled my first lamb. I mean, meaning help it, help the you give birth. So, I mean, I, this is part of who I am. So that's why when I went out there, I so connected with it. Um, but even my own kids have not had 
those kinds of experiences before, which I think is really incredible. Do you, what, what kind of, what kind of changes do you see maybe right away when they start um, really getting into the animals? Are you seeing, I mean, for a lot of people, when I take, when I was a kid and I would take people to the farm that didn't really have experience there's some shocking aspects to what you do on a farm sometimes. And maybe yours is a little, you know, more mild than what we, what we do. But I mean, you're, you're doing some things that, that you don't see on the nature channel and you don't see, you know, when you just have a dog or a cat at home, there's, I mean, I, there's some, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, it other yeah. than it's very real. Yeah. I mean, like, like I said, I mean, there's a lot of death. Um, there's a lot of, uh, maybe things that you, you're, you're not used to, um, castration, all those fun things that, that we, that we did on the farm. So are your kids, are they shocked by this? Are you doing these kinds of things or is it kind of more mild? Uh, there we do them. I mean, yeah. for me, it's like, I want to give them as real. A, they have so little, like I said, that's real in their life. Give them, uh, you know, as real a experience as we can. Uh, one quick story: We had uh, a we had a, a sow that was delivering piglets, and ge- genetically, the kids had um, artificially inseminated, and they they had artificially inseminated this the sow with genetically a boar that was too big, mm-hmm. and so when these babies these piglets were trying to be born, they physically could not they couldn't they, they couldn't come out, and so. Watching these kids, you know, the kids were rallying around this pig. Everybody's trying to, you know, figure out what to do. Um, we brought a vet in and everybody, and we ended up losing, I think, all, all the piglets and the sow ended up dying. And the kids, to, to, to experience that is something that, that is how you develop an appreciation for life. You know, we wonder why, you know, kids can do terrible things to each other. They can hurt each other. They can kill each other. They haven't, they don't understand the value of life. Yeah. Where on a farm, if you if you let it be real, they really start to value life because they're like, I loved something and it died. Um, and it died from no cause, from anything. It was, it just, it died. Um, and so for us, we, we're very vocal to the point where some kids dri- drives them crazy. We'll, we'll tell them like, hey, in lunch today, you ate this animal. Um, and we, we say the name and the kids are like, don't do that. I'm like, yeah, we have to do that. You have to understand um, what this process is. And it, and it starts, the kids, they, they want, they're craving that. They're craving like, what is life about? How do I figure this out? And the farm shows them, shows them what life's about and shows them this. If we were to sanitize it and make it be like, uh, you know, I won't name names, but farms that are like public farms that, that are very like, Hollywood sanitized, um, we wouldn't be getting the same, the kids wouldn't have the same experience and they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be learning what they're learning uh, with the ups and downs that they learn now. There's a lot of, again, based on my personal experience, there's a lot of um, natural consequences when it comes to nature and the farms, because I remember, and I've told this story publicly, but I remember having a horse who, you know, had colic and I was supposed to go feed it. I thought for sure I killed it, but I didn't because I, you know, I'm a kid and I tried to get out of not, you know, out of doing my chores and um, she ended up dying. You know, come to find out it wasn't my fault. She did have colic. But at the same time, like if you don't 
take your responsibility, you literally will, you could kill an animal yeah. by not, you know, not being responsible for, for taking care of them if you're not, you know, doing what you, you know, and it, you know, in a lot of ways that's that you just can't learn lessons like that any, any other way. Um, I, I mean, it, with my own kids, it's like, well, if they don't, you know, practice the piano or if they don't do their, tr- well, okay, what I'm going to have to impose some kind of, you know, punishment or, or whatever, but these are real natural consequences um, for your choices. Mm-hmm. And I think it's beautiful. Um, let's continue this conversation. We have so much to talk about um, the way the school's going, the way you're running things um, and what's, what's ahead in the future. And we'll do that when we come right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. We are back here with Dan and Tyler from Roots Charter School. We are talking about natural consequences, the things that these kids are learning about um, the farm, through the farm, um, through the farm process. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the kinds of kids that you're generally seeing at Roots and, and how you're, and talk a little bit about your 243 approach. So our students, we, we really target and, and we're chartered to go after kids that are disengaged, that have either dropped out or are credit deficient or are about to drop out. So we, we that's most of our students are from that situation where they've been kicked out of a school or they just got to where they quit going. Um, a couple of our students, have, like they're on like their third time. And when they come to Roots, they've dropped out three times, you know, left come back left come back and then and so it's it's really it's a um at risk population at risk of not graduating is what um they're kind of labeled in the system i guess for lack of better terms um but at the same time uh it's a school where i both my oldest went there and graduated from from roots and so one was at risk of not graduating uh hope he didn't listen to this but um the other one was just didn't like school. She did great, but she just hated it. And so it's it's a mix, but most of our students, I'd say most of them are students who are disengaged and, and dropped out or just about to drop out. So we have a lot of credit recovery, a lot of kids coming and they're trying to make up credits. Uh, and then the 243, uh, I'll tell a little story how that came to be. So we, when we first started, the first three years, we averaged seven uh, suicide attempts uh, every school year. Mm. And it got to the point after, you know, a couple of years where I was like, I can't emotionally, mentally, I was like, I cannot, I can't do this. And so we took the summer and we really kind of thought about, okay, what, what causes 
not what causes that self-harm, but what, what leads to it. And, and if, how do you break the cycle? How do you intervene? Um, it's not, it's not enough to have a week and just say, we're going to talk about it this week uh, or this month or whatever. But how our goal really was, how do you create a culture where the kids know that they have that, that anchor, they know they have something that they can draw upon when they're, when they're feeling that, that they're in that, you know, in that place mentally and emotionally. And so, uh, one day we were, I was kind of going through and I thought of Mr. Rogers. I'm a huge Mr. Rogers fan. Same. And so yep. I have been for, uh, for most of my life and he had a number that was one, four, three, which uh, kind of a funny side note. He maintained 143 pounds for the majority of his adult life. Um, but he said it the one when he was six, two, which I have no idea how he did, but, um, it's not healthy, but yeah, <laughs> but so one, four, three was, it takes one letter to say, I four letters to say love and three letters to say you. So as a community, we changed that one to a two, which is we. So it takes two letters to say we. So two, four, three is we love you. And there's not a place in the school where you can't look up and see that. And that's kind of what we tell the students. We say, you know, if you're feeling down, don't, don't look down, look up and you'll see two, four, three. And really having it uh, on all of our shirts, all of everything that we produce um, has really been, it's been, you, you know, a transformative uh, and I, and I know that's kind of what roots is in every aspect. And, and in that aspect, we went from having seven on, you know, averaging seven suicide attempts, uh, a school year to we went three years and had one. Um, wow. so, so a huge, huge difference. And we still have, you know, every year we'll have a couple of kids that'll end up getting hospitalized for suicide uh, ideation or for just being in that place, but always, they since that since since really since those first couple of years they go to an adult, mm-hmm. and I think that's what two four three more than anything has enabled them is when they know they have a loving adult they know they can go to somebody mm-hmm. that's going to not judge just say okay let's fix this let's figure this out let's help you let's get you where you need to be um, they they're more they're more prone to do it and uh, one experience we had a student and she ended up speaking it. it uh, the graduation of the year she graduated. And she said, you know, she had a plan A, a plan B for taking her life. And then she looked up and saw 243 and she made the call to the suicide hotline. And that was a crazy experience for me because I'm in this, I'm in the building and I get a call and saying, hey, this is so-and-so from, um, from the suicide hotline and you have a student in your building who's in a very bad place. And I was like, what the heck? And so she, she, was on the phone with the student and walked me to the student and we got the student to her parents and got her where she really needed to be to get the help that she needed. And, and for me, I mean, that's even right there. It's like the, it, it worked, mm-hmm. you know, it works when you create a, a loving environment, uh, kids, kids thrive. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's just a reality. Just, so it's true. a natural consequence. Going back to the natural consequences, yeah. love, the natural consequence to love is growth. Yeah. We, when, you know, I was early childhood education is my background too. And I remember, you know, the whole Montessori philosophy is creating, setting up the environment for a child to learn. So I love the idea of like setting up the environment for a child to feel loved, to, to feel like they can thrive, that the people around them are invested in them. And a lot of these kids, I I assume, haven't always felt like that. Um, so Dan, talk a little bit about, you know, as a board, how do you, how do you get full buy-in 
from the board, from the because I'm I understand how schools work, and I know that you know it comes from the top, but you have to get buy-in from everybody in the building to make this environment happen. How do you how do you do that? So we have an incredible board, and so and I think we're really lucky to have the people that we have on the board. Um, this is the type of school where if you really need to be behind the mission and really get it um, to even be involved with it. But there are so few people that I meet who who come to the school and learn about the mission that that aren't passionate about it, right? I mean, it doesn't take too long being there to realize that it, there's something special about it. Um, and the 243, you know, it's something that we have a, a, a lot of LGBTQ um, kids in the school and – it, it it plays along with that. There's kids. It's you know who've had difficulties. On, it's not not the, it's not easy anywhere, and it's it's sometimes really not easy um, here in Utah. And um, so I think having that that two four three, it's just something that not just the board. I mean, really, anyone who comes to the school can really. What better message can there be? And I, you know, especially like you said, especially for a lot of these kids. My kids, <clears throat> I'd say, you know, if you asked them. Who loves you? They could probably name fifty adults, yeah. and they'd be right. Who who love them and express that on a regular basis to them, and so the fact that the principal of their school loves them would be like, all right, whatever. I, yeah, yeah. That's, that's nice. Okay, um, but I think at this school, one of the the things that Tyler talks about a lot is the idea that one loving adult who cares before the age of eighteen can undo an, an enormous amount of of trauma, and um, and at roots. There's there's more than just one adult who who love and it's not a it's not a it's not just a slogan it's not just a you know something to graffiti on the walls it's a real you can feel it it's palpable when you're there and the students talk about it um, and it's just one of the coolest things to hear these kids talk about how how it makes them feel what it, how they feel about their school um, especially when you think of like traditional high schools yeah. right and and when they're contrasting it for them and they. Students sometimes will say things like, um, you know, I, I stopped going to school. Like Tyler said, these kids have dropped out, a lot of them. I stopped going to school and it seems like no one really noticed. Um, and so I thought no one cared and then I dropped out and I proved that it seemed like no one really cared. And, you know, at Roots, we only have, you know, 200 and, you know, under 200 students. They really do know the the staff and the and Tyler personally knows, you know, if there's a kid who hasn't been to school in a while, Tyler knows, the staff knows, the teachers notice. There's a whole outreach team that will go out and visit the kids at home be like, hey, time to come back to school. Oh. Um, it's just, a, it's just a, a different vibe. So the 243 is, like I said, it's more than a slogan. It's really um, – it's in every aspect of everything we do. And as a board, it's it informs all the decisions that we make about um, – you know what what things need to get funded and and what are what are the most important priorities in the school um it really i would say also for the teachers it's one of the biggest ones and i know that's one of your your particular issues and when you were out of the school it, uh i think the teachers really appreciated that and and understood where you were coming from and they they felt heard um you know being a teacher is never super easy um and being a teacher uh or on staff in a school um, like this, it is not, yeah. it, it can be a challenge. And so that 243 is, is for the students and it's for the staff. And we, we try 
um, to make a big effort as a board to make sure that the staff also understand that they're appreciated and how important they are to this whole process because it doesn't you know there's no school without them they and and the students recognize it the students um, bond with some of these these teachers and staff members in ways that um, are just it's just really cool to see mm. so let's talk more about your teachers um, we're, we're saying that it's it's really difficult environment for teachers right now how are your teachers doing and how do you get your teachers to stay and how do you get them to feel um, like they have the resources and the tools they need to be able to do their jobs, which is, you know, again, something we're working on as well. But how, how have you been successful at keeping your, your teachers there and, and bought into the mission? I think, um, it's hard. It gets hard. I would say it gets harder every year. Um, our teachers more, it's, it's not as much what goes on in the building. It's what goes on outside the building. Yeah for us because in once they're there uh you know they they feel safe they feel loved um the teachers do i think what's been hard in the last couple i'd say year or two really is that the the politicizing of everything they do outside yes. of schools i think that has been super uh, detrimental to to kind of the morale of mm-hmm. the teachers uh but as far as you know, every year the state does a survey about kind of safety, like, do you feel safe at work? And and it's amazing how our teachers score. We score so high on that. And I think a lot of that is that is two, four, three, and is them really feeling like that they're safe, they're loved. And, and for me, as the principal and the leader in the building, it really is about making sure they know that I'm always there um, and, and my door is always open. I don't have an office actually. And that was, for me, that was kind of important to, to be able to be everywhere uh, and, and be kind of walking or never, you know, I don't go into an office, shut the door and that's where I'm at. And so creating that, breaking down the hierarchy and, and having everyone feel like their voice is heard, they're, they're equal. Uh, it, I think that is more important. I mean, I could go on for hours about, I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's we're doing a lot of things wrong to make teachers feel right, and that's frustrating as a as an educator. Yeah, explain um, that a little bit. That's really an interesting thought. So explain what you mean by that. So, for one, I think you know, out of safety, what we've done is we've sanitized schools. Even mm-hmm. so, you don't touch the kid. Don't say you can't say I love you. You can't say these things. You can't say these things. And we think that makes kids safe, and it doesn't. It's not making anybody safe. Um, when, you, when you've sanitized, you know, when there's a, as humans, we hunger for a connection yes. and then you create all of these rules that impede actual connection, true mm-hmm. connection, then the kids aren't going to feel safe. And, and it actually, I was talking with someone from the state. I said, the big issue is you, you think you've made them safer, but what you've done is you've actually created an environment that is better for a predator or somebody to do something inappropriate because now you have a whole population of kids that are hungry for positive loving attention no one's allowed to do it because of the rules and because of the culture that we've created so somebody can you know seek not secretly but oh yeah secretly i guess you can establish that relationship and and a kid who has high trauma um is is craving a loving adult and then that person takes advantage of that system whereas if you create loving environments the kids are like why would i you know no I, everybody loves me like i don't need your false sense of love that you're trying to push down on me 
everybody loves me. I have all of these teachers I could go to. And so that's one example. I mean, we, to, to try to create a safer environment, we, cre- we ruined what the beauty of what schools could be. Wow. That is, I'm going to have to really noodle on that for a long time. I, that is an incredibly powerful thought um, about what we're doing to create safe schools. I just have never thought about that. Thank you for for explaining that. That makes so much sense to me. Um, We want to continue this conversation and see what's next for Roots, and we'll do that when we come right back. We are back here on First Lady and Friends with Dan and Tyler from Roots Charter School. We are having an incredible conversation, and my mind is just blown right now by some of the things you're saying, but I want to come back to that idea of this environment that you're creating and sort of this... um, different environment that that's that's anyway i i just i'm I'm not sure how to frame this question other than um how 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 is it working and we're talking about connections these the kids that you have are here because they need connection and you're you're creating that in a very different way how is that translating to you know see post-graduation are they Entering a world where, you know, this authority dichotomy, is it, is it working for them post-graduation post when they are going into an environment that maybe doesn't look like what they just came from? You know, if they're a, a, a boss employee type situation, how are they integrating into a work situation or a, or a post-graduate uh, situation how are they doing? How, what's the, what's the, are, are we keeping data post uh, graduation? So, I, you know, there's transitions always hard, the transition from high school to, uh, we've created a system where the only really unbumpy road is if they go university. And even that's kind of, you don't see the bumps until they graduate with a degree in humanities and they don't know what to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but for the most part, that system really is like, it's like bowling with bumpers. Um, they know, boom, 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 they just go straight. So trying to transition is difficult. You know, we're making some changes. We're still new. I mean, we've only been doing this for uh, seven years. I okay. I will say I keep in touch with most of the students. And this question is asked a lot. Okay, if you're a loving environment, how are you preparing them for the world? Because the world isn't going to treat them the way they're treated at Roots. Right, but... It- which is an unfair question because I think no, it's a real all, question. Yeah, a it's a good question. Yeah, and so, but the reality is, the, what we all have to do is we have to step back and say, well, what kind of world do we want? Yeah, do I want to train them to say yes to a boss that treats them terrible so that they can maintain a job? I actually don't. I want to train them and and have them have a, the the self confidence, the connection, and know that like, hey, actually, and do it with respect. And we work mm-hmm. on that a lot because they don't always do that, but. To, for them to go and say, you can't treat me. That's actually not, you can't treat me that way. Yeah. Um, that's not, I'm not going to let you, you know, I know my value. I know who I am. Um, and you can't, you can't treat me that way. Um, I think schools for the most part do, they model the systems that the kids are going to be going into, even if those systems are broken. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why, why model a broken system when we have all these kids that we could train and teach and show them what the world can be and then let them go create a better world. And so for me, really it is if if I give them a loving environment where they know they're they're loved that 
they, they don't have to be fearful, mm-hmm. that they can be brave, that they can say what's on their mind, that they can think for themselves, mm-hmm. that I, I don't care what they draw, you know, and, and not like, uh, you know, I'm not expelling a kid because he drew a knife. Like yeah. that's, I mean, if you think of, if you think about that, how crazy some of the things we do and what, what message we're actually sending to this kid, um, that's not the world I want. And so for me, it really is, I'll give them true love, true connection, and hope that they take that, that with them along with their diploma. Um, and then for me, I think if, if we get enough people on board with that, then we won't be having that, that discussion anymore. Like, are you really preparing them for how mean the world is? Yeah. Well, I don't, n- not by being mean to them. Like, no, I'm not. Like, I'm not going to show them. I'm not going to say, I'm going to show you what the rest of your life is going to be, and it's not good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show them, like, here's goodness, here's kindness, here's forgiveness, here's, you know, all of these things that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give it to you, and I hope that as a parent, a future parent, as, as, as somebody that's going into the world, that you'll take those things mm-hmm. and, and, and spread it. Yeah. And I think that the if you think about it, the, the the problem that these kids have is not that they haven't had enough exposure to the harshness of real life. <laughs> um, True. And so I think they've they've had plenty. And I think that's incorporated into the philosophy. Um, and Tyler and I, uh, um, I think both r- really feel strongly about this. With with these kids, if you're looking for it, as they are in a lot of schools, because discipline is one of the main focuses. If you're looking for a reason to expel a kid, um, especially a lot of the students at our school, if that's what you're trying to do and your goal is to, to do that, you can probably find a good reason to expel yeah. kids if that's what your goal is, um, and especially kids who have have had difficult lives. So. The idea there is that they've had plenty of exposure to harshness. What we're trying to do is say, look, is there any way that we can keep this kid in school? Mm-hmm. Is there not – oh, you're not going to graduate. Well, that's not our goal. Is there any way we can get him to graduate? Well, we're going to have to work really hard and they have a huge credit recovery program and we're going to have to work with them on the behavior. OK. If that's what it takes, let's do that rather than um, you know, this kid had some minor something like Tyler said and that's, that's a that's – a, you know. Worthy of expulsion. Well, I guess so if that's what your goal is. So we yeah. just focus in on other things. That's, that's an incredible thought. You know, this idea of radical kindness. I mean, it's yeah. something we've been talking about a lot. And um, yeah, I think, I think these kids do have the power to change the world that we live in. Yep. They can make it better. I've always said the kids that we are seeing now are so much better at this than we are. They're so much better at kindness. They're so much better at accepting people for who they are um, than we ever were or are. And so I, I love the thought that we can allow them to change our world to to make it better. Let's talk next steps for for Roots. Right now you're, you're under 200 students. Where would you like to be and, and I guess what are, what are the next steps and what are maybe the barriers to, to what you're trying to do? So we – our real next goal is to find a per, more permanent location. We're in a leased building on land, on borrowed land. And so finding a permanent location, preferably in West Valley, is kind of my big push. Um, I always want to keep – you know, if we had multiple campuses, that would be great. But I, I think 200 
we're not looking to grow in a single location above 200. You have to keep that number low to really be able to know the kids. Um, but yeah, for me, the next step, and then for personally, that's roots. Personally, it's really trying to push for more trauma-informed mm-hmm. practices statewide, really trying to take some of the things that we know work at roots and help other schools really incorporate them. Um, for me, uh, I don't, we didn't copyright anything we've done. Like we don't own love. We don't own two, four, three. Right. And so really getting teachers to understand and going back to your initiative, it's like helping them understand that if, if you, if you learn to love your students, your job becomes easier. It's, it's not, it, it becomes that human experience that, that, that we're, that we want. It's not anymore that you're standing in front of a group of kids that, you know, at times do drive you crazy. Um, it's it's you're standing in front of kids that you know, that you love, that you are vested in. Um, I tell teachers all the time, like no one who, no one who I hated ever taught me anything good. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so if you if you create an environment where there is that toxicity and there's that adversary, like I'm the wise sage, do what I say, those kids. You've, you've, that's a barrier to learning. Those kids don't, they're not going to learn. But if you, if you establish that loving relationship, your job becomes easier. So talking about like, uh, you know, cause it becomes restorative. Love is restorative. And when you love your students, that restores you and helps so much. And so spreading some of those things for me is really important. Um, roots really, I'd say, I don't know, you can chime in Dan. If our number one right now is probably finding that permanent location, trying to figure that out. And it's a tough, tough environment to be trying to find a permanent location. Yeah. So yeah. if anybody knows of a great empty <laughs> lot in a bad neighborhood, we can turn it into something beautiful. Yeah. That's my plug. Uh, and if you're willing to have um, some, you know, goats and sheep and nah. whatnot hanging around, which it's people, like having a farm, but without, you don't have to do the chores. It's amazing. It's yeah. the best neighbor ever. <laughs> It's like a petting zoo next door. It's great. Yeah. I also always put in a plug. If if you are a teacher or know of teachers who this kind of a school and this kind of a program appeals to, um, reach out. Yeah. Go on the website. I think I think one of my big focuses, I think, for the future besides the permanent location is the program, seeing how it's transformed the lives of these kids. I, um, I'd love to be able to reach more kids mm-hmm. and, and expand it because I, I hear from people all the time, you know, friends and Bountiful or Ogden who are like, man, I, I wish like my, my kid really needs this. It's just too far. And um, so being able to take it to, to more places I think would be great and to increase the community involvement. I, I just want to give a shout out to the community in Utah. Um, it has a small charter school is difficult yeah. and the community, um, including you and the governor who, who have been out to the school, but even just private companies, um, and organizations that have just been so supportive of this organ- of, of of the school, of our students, of our teachers, um, you you really can't do a charter school of this size without an enormous amount of community involvement, and to do it well um, requires a lot. And I've I've just been um, very touched and moved by the by the response of the community and how much they've um, contributed. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, I we are just blown away by what you're doing and you know not to, I should also mention that you know a lot of your students besides you know coming from some really tough environments um you know going back to the they they've 
the authority, I think you're uniquely positioned to, to put forth this new way of doing it because there's a lot of people in their lives, authority figures that have not modeled behavior that, um, that we want to see and that, that is good for them. And so I love what you're doing. Um, also I, I, I want to mention too, that I, will you tell me again, how many, um, IEPs, how, what was the percentage? So we're about 37% special ed. So, so if you, if, 37% and to put, of our students have and to put IEPs. that into perspective, I think the general population is about 10%. 8 to 10% is what a traditional kind of average where schools average. So we're, I mean, very high. Yeah. But I think the model itself and kind of the way we interact with the students, parents, you know, that has grown. It's grown about 5% every year. And I I think, honestly, I think it'll continue to grow uh, in that way. And I, and I think that's great. I honestly, um, I was talking to somebody the other day, uh, a mom who has a child with an IEP, and I think, I hope we get to a point in our system that every child has an IEP, that every child has an individual learning plan for them, and we use IEP to to suggest you know getting special education services. But I I would advocate for every child having an IEP. That means individual learning for for every student, and they get you know what they need, which is what you guys are providing. And so, I hats off to you guys. I love what you're doing. I love that idea. My my heart is on the farm, and so I love what you're doing. I love exposing as many children as we can to the to the beauties of farm life and the wonderful things that they can teach us, as well as this idea of. 243 and loving people. So thank you so much for what you guys are doing. Thanks for for being here. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks to Tyler and Dan for being with us today. You can find them at rootshigh.org. Thanks for being a friend. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.